This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack had you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. Great stuff from Jesse Pierce, NHL.com. She covers the wild. We will keep it out west. Uh, she talked a little smack earlier before we uh, started recording on Colorado, saying nobody cares about the abs. Evan Rawal, uh, who covers the Colorado Avalanche, he joined us earlier in the season, was so great. We had to have him back from Colorado Hockey now. Evan, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Uh, we're okay. We're all in the same boat right now, mm-hmm. although... Uh, while the Penguins didn't make it to the playoffs, the Avs made it, and everybody, I think, expected that we were kind of bound for, at least I thought we were bound for a Western Conference Finals repeat engagement between the Avs and the Oilers. We didn't get it. Uh, We get the Bruins bounced in the first round. We get the Avs bounced in the first round. Upsets all over the place. And the first question we have to ask is, what the heck went wrong? No depth. The Avs just do not have the depth that they had last year, and it became more and more apparent. And once once Valerie Nachushkin left the series with, you know, his personal issues where there's still just a lot of mystery around what's going on there. Right. It really became apparent that the Avs just don't did not have the depth to, to keep up with Seattle, who I mean, we've already seen in the second round. The depth is what they have. Everyone on the team can play and it, it was it was a big issue for the Avalanche throughout the playoffs, and they did not get a single goal from a bottom six forward in the playoffs, which is just remarkable. And when you consider it was a one goal game in the game seven, that 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 kind of makes a big difference. So yeah. that that was that was the difference for the Avs. Does anybody look at it as sort of a, a tr- it's it's hard to say one removing one person from the lineup and and you just mentioned Nashuskin as well, so uh, two people from the lineup maybe, and and people I think forget about I don't want to say forget about Gabe Landeskog you can't forget about him but you know he wasn't there for so long that I think people forgot about the fact that he was missing and there is a huge trickle-down effect I would think to then guys being elevated we've seen it here in Pittsburgh over the years where when they don't have the depth Malkin or Crosby is out or another top six forward um, they don't always have they have guys that are ready willing to step up but not necessarily always able did that trickle-down effect when you took the Landeskog absence, when you when you pile Nashuskin on top of that, is that what led to that depth being exposed? Absolutely. I mean, Landeskog was gone all year, so it was something that they had kind of had to play around with all sure. year. Um, but Nashuskin, that was just it was a bridge too far for the team. Once he left, uh, they had already you know were missing guys, and they have basically been injured the whole year. But you know, so seeing guys just leave in the playoffs was not a huge surprise. But uh, they. They didn't go out and really get any forward help at the deadline. They got Lars Eller, who's, you know, he's past his prime. He's a yeah. defensive center at this point. He's not a big goal scorer. So once Nachushkin was down, they they didn't really have anyone to fit in. I mean, Matt Nieto was who moved in the top six, and Matt Nieto was, you know, he didn't he scored, I think, one goal in the last 26 games. So that's kind yeah. of how bad things were for the Avs. But, yeah, it, it, it really was a trickle-down effect. And, you know, Landis Cog's absence was really felt in the playoffs. 
uh, and obviously Nachushkin as well. Well, they've got an opportunity here going into the offseason to kind of remake all of that depth, though, right? With I, I want to say everybody on the bottom two lines, if not then some, is an unrestricted free agent, a couple restricted free agents in there as well, like Alex Newhook. Um, they've got an opportunity. Look, the blue line is strong. I, I, I don't know. Maybe you saw it differently in, in the series against Seattle, but I, I don't necessarily – lay the issues at the feet of anybody on defense, but they're, I, I think they're lucky in regards that they've built that out fairly nicely and can move forward with the blue line that they have for the most part. They've got an opportunity to, to remake the, the bottom six or maybe even the middle six if you want to look at it that way. Um, what do you think their game plan is going into this offseason? Well, the Landis Cog news gives them a little bit of clarity and that they mm -hmm. can kind of use that cap space next season. Uh, but yeah, they're going to have to remake the bottom six. You got Darren Helm, who's likely going to retire. Uh, Andrew Cogliano, he could keep playing, but you know he's 36. You know he's played 1,200 games. He might call it a career too. And Matt Nieto is going to be an unrestricted free agent, so I don't I don't know if any of those guys will really come back. So they're going to have some some room to play with. They don't have a ton of young guys ready to come up and step up in the NHL, so they're going to have to find some guys. Uh, but yeah, defense is in good shape. Uh, the one thing that they might do is, you know, they have Bowen Byram is up for a new contract. Mm -hmm. uh, Devon Taves is one year from unrestricted free agency and Sam Gerrard's got four years. So I could see one of those guys getting moved. This could be the year where one of those guys get moved. Probably not Byram, um, but one of those guys gets moved for a for a sec for some forward help because they have a lot of high end defensive guys uh, signed moving forward. So it's just a matter of kind of spreading things out um throughout the lineup but that's something i could see happen let's workshop some things here you're you're you're, you're singing some sweet music to my ears maybe as far as getting a top pairing compliment to chris letang in his last couple of years with the penguins devon taves um what what what's colorado looking for in that kind of deal is it you know i i i think about a team that's that's got so much in place it, they're not necessarily building for the future i don't think they're looking for draft picks which works because the penguins don't have any to deal really um is it, it you mentioned forward depth, but the Penguins are a team that's in a similar boat and that their depth, for, you know, their, their, their bottom six is just a disaster. So what, what do you think I'll, I'll put you in, I'll put you in Chris McFarland's shoes. What's he looking for? It's, it's gotta be a top six forward. Who's, you know, got some term on it. So okay. they, they have, I don't think they want to trade Devon Taves and, I, and they, they might not trade him. It's just a matter of, can they get him to agree to a long-term extension that kind of fits right. within the team? Because after Devon Taves, they have to deal with Miko Rittenden's next contract. So it just kind of keeps building on each other. So I don't think they want to trade Devon Taves. Um, Sam Gerrard is another guy who signed for four more years at $5 million. That's a guy that could have value on a lot of value on the trade market just because he's a top-four defenseman and he's young and he's signed for a while. But for Taves or for any of those guys, I, I don't think they're moving them for anything more than a top six forward who signed for a while. Well, Brian Rust is signed for a <laughs> long time. I'm just saying, Evan, if there's any interest, we'll talk to people and see if we can intermediate something here. Uh, I don't think that's going to be. Damn it. <laughs> Damn it. I thought I had you for a second. Yeah. The line was out there in the water and I, I felt something and then it came up and it was a boot attached to the fish hook. It was worth a shot anyway. Uh, the goaltending situation, what's it look like going forward? For the first time in a few years, they're set and net going into the offseason. Alexander Georgiev was, he was kind of a revelation. I, I, I think there was a lot of questions heading into the season. 
about whether or not he could be a starting goaltender. And he, I think he played twice as many games as he's ever played in a regular season. And he was, he was great all year. He had some dips, but that's what any goalie does. Um, really the only issue is Pavel Frenzo is the backup. He's a good backup. He just couldn't stay healthy during the year and he's already had off season surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, if, if, if he's healthy, they're they're set in net. They they don't have anything to worry about there, which is nice. So when it comes around to draft time, I mentioned uh, the Avs. They, they don't have a ton of picks either. I don't think they have anything between the first round and the fifth round, I want to say it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, not necessarily a team that's building for the future. They're building for now. So when we get to draft weekend, and then shortly after that, we get to free agency at the beginning of July. What do we keep an eye out for with the abs? How do they remake that bottom six? Do they look to maybe sign top six talent? We talked about possibly bringing some in in a trade and push that depth down a little bit on the forward units. Um, what what should we keep an eye out for? What will be the first thing they should jump on? Um, that first round pick, they they held on to it the deadline. I'm not so sure they're going to hold on to it this summer. I think with okay. the Landis Cognews, they have cap space. I think they're going to try to get creative and that's they don't have a ton of trade assets that's one they have um i i think it's going to be on the market if they can find a top six forward that fits uh free agency not a lot of great free agents out there in my opinion just looking at the list um if jonathan taves wants to continue his career the as were linked to him kind of following him all year long okay i could see him being a guy that they try to fit in probably more like a third line center at this point in his career um, if they can find a, a second line center, I think he's a guy who fits. Um, you know, there's, I think Evan Rodriguez is a the guy they're going to want to try to bring back, but it's got to be at the right price. JT Confer is an unrestricted free agent, but he had the type of year where you look at him and say, some team's going to really overpay him based on what he's done in his career, just based off of this one year that he had. So uh, I think they're going to look at some forwards. They don't really need to look at defense other than depth, but there's just not a lot of forwards out there in the free agent market. So I think they're going to have to get creative in the trade market. Evan Rodriguez, the streakiest player alive. He's fantastic for a couple weeks at a time and then disappears for months. Yeah. He's, he was very up and down, which is why it's got to be at the right price. But he, he, he sounded like a guy who really wants to stay in Colorado after the year. So yeah, it it fit for him. It was a perfect fit with his ability to move up and down the lineup, especially. All right. You're great at sharing the podcast on social media when you come on with us. And I know a ton of abs fans listened last time you were on. So I want to say something to abs fans right now. (laughs) I love you dearly. And I really like Nathan McKinnon. Seems like a great guy. But no, you cannot have Sidney Crosby for the last (laughs) few years of his career. Enough with that nonsense. Enough with that rumor. I'm telling you, stop. It's not happening. Not. We're building statues of Sidney Crosby that we can just drag out to center ice on the day he retires. So it's not (laughs) happening. I'm sorry. I had to get that off my chest, Evan. I have a feeling that's not going to stop him. I get sent sent those Photoshopped pictures of Crosby in an ass jersey every day. So I don't think that's stopping Um, anyone. Keep hope alive, I guess. Keep yeah. dreaming, kids. We, we appreciate the time today, Evan. Thanks again, as always. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great stuff, as always, from Evan Rawal of Colorado Hockey Now. Thanks to him for joining. I feel like we're going down a list of teams that we are surprised are out already. We talked Bruins. We talked Rangers. We talked Avs. And now we talk Lightning. Maybe for anybody up in Ontario they're not surprised that the Lightning are out. They really had some kind of belief in the Maple Leafs. I don't know. Maybe maybe the people in Ontario are actually the ones who are most surprised 
that the Leafs uh, made it through to the second round and the Lightning did not. Eric Erlinson of LightningInsider.com joins me now to talk about the Bolts' first-round exit and their season as a whole. Thanks for the time, Eric. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Uh, trying to get used to the short uh, uh, playoff run for the Lightning. It's been a while. Yeah, yeah. When's the last time you've had the back half of May available to you? It's, it's uh, 2019. Yeah, I mean, it's been a while. So here we are uh, with the Lightning. This is a question I asked of Scott McLaughlin of WEEI in Boston about the Bruins because they're they're staring down retirements in their case, right? And Bergeron and Krejci. But I'll ask the question uh, about I'll ask the question about the Lightning. Are they aging out? I know they've done a great job of cultivating talent as they've been winning over the years, but are they starting to come up against some age issues? No. They are, they're not aging out. They are salary capping out is, is, mm. is the problem. I mean, you look at the – I mean, we just had lunch with a couple of other media members the other day, and you could put together quite a list of players who are part of the, the team's two Stanley Cup championships and mm -hmm. put together quite a team of those players who have left. I mean, we're talking uh, Blake Coleman and Barkley Goodrow and Ryan McDonough. and I mean, just go down the list. This year we're probably going to have to add Alex Kalorn to that list. I don't see any way that the Lightning are going to be able to bring Alex Kalorn back. And uh, and that's what it comes down to. Are Victor Hedman and Steven Stamkos getting older? Yeah. you Father age will always catch up to every single one of us. We can't escape him. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's even worse for, for, for pro athletes. But, I mean, Steven Stamkos still had a 30-goal campaign at the age of 32. 30, you know, it'd be, he'll turn 34 next February. So he's not at the end of his career. He's trending that way but he's not there yet Victor Hedman had an off year there's no doubt about it uh but I don't think I think he's a guy that can come back uh and and be the effective player that he is and you know Nikita Kucherov is 30 Andre Vasilevsky is 30 Braden Point is 26 Anthony Sorelli is 25 Mikhail Sergachev is 25 I mean you go down the list of the players who are still in their mid to late 20s that are still part of the core of this team so it's not it's not age that's catching up with this team. Maybe some fatigue because of the mm -hmm. amount of games. I mean, in particular, Andre Vasilevsky, you know, he's played 71 playoff games since 2020. I, I mean, that's that's more than he plays in a regular season. So it's more than a season's worth of extra games. Plus, you add in all the extra overtime minutes and everything else. He was at 4,000 minutes. So um, it's not it, with this team. It's not. Uh, age, it's cap and chipping away at the depth that they've been able to acquire and, and utilize to their strength, which, you know, this is really the first year you kind of saw the difference, the lack of depth made. So how does Julian Breezewell manage that this offseason, uh, knowing that he can't go nuts on the free agent market because he's got a big a bunch of big numbers on the cap? Um, he doesn't necessarily have the resources uh, built around the draft. I think he's got three, two, three picks maybe at the very yeah. end of the draft. Yeah. Um, so he doesn't have those to trade. Is he, is he creative enough to sort of uh, continue to replenish this roster on the fly? Yeah, I think you've already seen him do some of that, actually. And you just go back to the Brandon Hagel and Nick Paul trades mm -hmm. at the deadline last year, right? Nick Paul was signed to a seven-year deal. Brandon Hagel still under contract for one year. Uh, and he was, a, you know, he comes off the best offensive season of his career. He was a great fit when Nikita Kucherov and Braden Point for a good part uh, of the regular season. Um, you know, odds are they'll get him tied up to a long-term deal. You know, the, the the deal to bring in Tanner Janot, I Look, I know it was a lot to give up, and he didn't perform, and and Julian Breezeball is catching a lot of heat for that trade. But Tanner Janot was not brought in for this year. He's an RFA. 
the expectation is he will sign a longer term contract to keep him around uh, and get him comfortable with the system. You know, Mikey Asamont, the same situation, right? They bring him in from San Jose, you know, a guy in his mid 20s who's just kind of on that cusp of maybe finding out who he is. They sign him to a two year deal that's very team friendly. And, you know, and they're going to have to hope that some of their prospects, you know, they don't have grade A prospects because of the number of picks they have traded away through the years but they do have some guys that they feel can come up and contribute. So that's how they're going to have to do this. They don't have a lot of money. Uh, actually, as bad as the cap situation has been for the Lightning the last couple of years, this is probably the worst year, depending on whether the, you know, look, the cap's only going to go up a million. There is some talk that maybe the PA will push for it to go up a little bit more, maybe, you know, inject that inflator clause that mm -hmm. they have in there to kind of open up some more space, but uh, it's, it's going to be difficult. There's no depth. Uh, there's no doubt. The depth is going to be, you know, chipped away a little bit more again this year. I think you have to look at a guy like Ross Colton, who is a restricted free agent with arbitration rights. Maybe he's the guy you have to trade to get back some draft picks, you know, because you probably can't afford him. So there's a lot of affordability yeah. <laughs> at work here for Julian Breezeball. He definitely has his, uh, his, uh, his, hands tied and his work cut out for him so when he's looking at for example you mentioned Kalorn uh it, it, that's probably a no-go just because of what the market rate is going to be for an Alex Kalorn uh, are there other unrestricted free agents you mentioned a couple restricted free agents are there other targets that he can retain that he has an eye on or it, it when you look at the Lightning's roster it doesn't seem like it's really primed for a bunch of turnover. So if that's yeah. the case, can they bring back in essence, much of the same team minus Kalorn and, and a couple other uh, smaller pieces and say, Hey, we believe we're still good enough to make runs. We were just tired. We just hit a wall or whatever it may have been in that series against Toronto. They feel that way. There's no doubt, especially when it comes to Andre Vasilevsky, who admitted after the season was over that maybe he didn't handle himself. He had dealt with some new issues that he'd never dealt with in his career in terms of mental fatigue and some nagging injuries that he tried to push through. So he's always going to be the key. As long as he comes back and can be the Vezina style uh, caliber goalie that he has been the previous five years of his career, then they'll always have a chance. So they feel that way. Um, as far as the UFAs, I'm not expecting Corey Perry back, not expecting Pierre mm -hmm. Edouard Belmar to return. Uh, in interesting to see what they're going to do with Ian Cole, you know, the, with, with Hedman and Sergachev on the left side. You know, they've got Hayden Fleury under contract, but is Hayden Fleury a guy that you're going to count on to take on some of the minutes and roles that Ian Cole picked up, who <laughs> picked him up for Ryan McDonough? You know, right. those those are some important uh, minutes that they're going to ask that left side D to play. Um, so, like the bottom lines, the bottom six will look different. There's no doubt. Asamont coming back really helps. But, you know, with no Belmar and no Perry, most likely, uh, th that's the area that they're probably going to have the newest faces. Uh, mm -hmm. But it, it will be interesting to see what they do because the defensive depth, I feel better about their depth right now than I did maybe towards the end of the season because of the way that Darren Radish performed at the end of the year, as well as uh, Nick Perbix. Um, but they still have questions on their depth on defense. And uh, that's the one area, if they're going to target something in free agency, that's probably where it will come and it'll probably come on the left side. The one thing we always come back to with Tampa, the one consistency, aside from some of the big names, you mentioned Vasilevsky, Stamkos, Hedman uh, at the top of the list, is John Cooper. Um, and in the NHL, we know what the environment is. The easiest thing to change sometimes, just ask Gerard Gallant, is the head coach, even if he's not the primary problem. Uh, we're similar, though, here in Pittsburgh in that Mike Sullivan has been here, two Stanley Cups. Uh, a lot of people say, well, fine, get us another one now or get us close to one. 
in John Cooper's case, the track record is much more recent. So I, I, I don't want to say is John Cooper on the hot seat or how, how much longer should John Cooper have to you know trade off the the cup rings that he's brought to Tampa because I, I think a he's a very good coach and B um, he does deserve a lot of leeway but what is his I guess what what is his position within this organization in so much as is he is he here until he doesn't want to be anymore you get the sense that that's what the case is and mm-hmm. if you look at the way that the team performed like I was one who didn't I anticipated this was the year Toronto was going to get past Tampa Bay in the first round and finally break that curse. I mm-hmm. didn't think it was going to happen the way it did. The Lightning yeah. thoroughly outplayed the Leafs most of that series. The Leafs got six goals off of deflections. You know, they they got the breaks that you sometimes need to have in a playoff situation, right? Uh, so if you look at the way that the team actually performed in the in the series against the Leafs, the Lightning with a better team, and that right. to me is coaching, right? They put together a game plan uh, uh, to devise a way. I mean, Cooper even said it during the series. We know how to su- have success against these guys, and they did. It, they just didn't score. They didn't score enough. It. They put it. They, they let. They let in too many goals. There's no doubt that that's where it always starts. But Austin Matthews scored five goals. Braden Point didn't have a goal after game one. Nikita Kucherov didn't have a goal after game one. That's ultimately where the series was decided was Tampa's big guys didn't show up, which is unusual. So when you kind of encapsulate all that, uh, I think John Cooper is still the right guy for this team. Uh, He just has a masterful way of relating to his players. And the fact that in the NHL, and we know how it works, the, the shelf life for a coach in the NHL is usually short. And usually the players start to tune out the message. The message is not being tuned out. And as long as that remains the case, and as long as the team continues to have success, then John Cooper will remain the head coach here. So when we get to the end of June uh, in Nashville at the draft, and we push through to free agency starting a couple days after that, uh, what's the first thing we should keep an eye out for from the Lightning and what they may do this offseason? Well, it, it might actually happen before. Like I mentioned, Ross Colton is a guy to keep an eye on if, uh, you know, the Lightning have a pick until at the fifth round, I think. So they're going to sit pretty bored at the table there at, uh, at Bridgestone Arena for a few hours uh, on day two before they even get a chance to go to the microphone. So if you're going to recoup, recoup some draft picks, that's probably a guy to look at. Uh, if after that, it's probably going to be a quiet you know, the only thing you wonder, you know, they do need a um, backup goalie. I don't expect mm-hmm. Brian Elliott to be returning anytime soon. Um, so uh, that's the one area that they're they're going to be busy. If uh, look, they just signed Matt Tompkins, who I think was Canada's goaltender at the Olympics last year. You know, is, is he a depth guy or is he a guy that you're looking at to back up Vasilevsky? I don't know the answer to that right now. So that's the one area I look at. Otherwise, I don't expect them to be busy. With the uh, unrestricted free agent market, the thing to keep an eye on is their own guys, right? It's, uh, you know, Brandon Hagel. I mentioned him. He's scheduled to be an RFA after next season. And the bigger one to keep an eye on is Steven Stamkos. He's entering the last year of his contract. Uh, He's eligible to sign on July 1st. So that's the one thing with this team. Just like last year when they came out of the gate and re-signed Sorelli, Chernak, uh, and Mikhail Sergachev to extensions, will actually be trying to keep their own guys. So they, if, if they're going to be busy, that's the one area you're probably going to have to look at. Is that Breezeball blowing you up there on the phone, trying to find out what, what's going on in Pittsburgh? Uh, No, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> you're supposed to lie, Eric. You're supposed to lie right through your teeth. Yes, 
<laughs> we have a very important call coming up. No, I appreciate the time as always. It's great to catch up with you. We'll look forward to doing it again next season. But thanks for the time and breaking down uh, what happened with the Lightning, not just in the first round, but throughout the year and what to keep an eye out for with them this summer. Eric Erlinson, Lightning Insider. Thanks again for the time. All right. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. Be well. Yep. Thanks, man. Great stuff from Eric Erlinson, uh, who covers the Lightning, Tampa Bay Lightning for lightninginsider.com. Great to catch up with him from the tropics to, well, another island of sorts. Stefan Roster of the Hockey News. Uh, he covers the Islanders and he's, well, Long Island. That's where they play. Uh, Stefan, thanks for making the time today. How are you? No problem. How are you? Great, great. Um, and interested to hear what happened to this Islanders team that, I'll be honest, I thought was because of the way they play, I always look at them and say, regardless of whether they're hot going into the playoffs or not, the last four or five years, I've always looked at them and said, I do not want to face them in the playoffs because they play prototypical playoff hockey. But it didn't work this year. What failed them in the first round? Yeah, I think first off, special teams, right? They uh, ended the regular season with the third worst power play in hockey. I think it was around 15.8%. And you look at the teams that make it, you know, when you get to the playoffs, Special teams is huge. And the Islanders, five on five against Carolina, they dominated. For most of that series, they dominated. It was just special teams went one for 18 on the power play. They allowed five power play goals for the Carolina Hurricanes. So, yeah, it's, um, that's not going to get it done. And yet Sorokin, you thought, okay, if Sorokin came into the series, sure. he would have to bail him out a bunch of times. And unfortunately, he didn't really do that early in the series. Game two, you look at that, at that game. Is it his fault of the bounces? No, but there's a few goals in that game that, He's got to stop as the elite goaltender that he is, and it doesn't come through. Look at game six, that overtime winner that sneaks past Soroki, you know? You feel for him because he was elite that game. Yeah. Kept that game close. I mean, they were Islanders were dominated in the third period. They tried to sit back with a one-goal lead. It didn't work. And then that goal goes in. So it was a combination of a lot of things. It was also that main issue with the Islanders where in every postseason run where they come up short is they couldn't get that one extra goal. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, if they get a goal in the second period, do they win that game and force the game seven? Probably just didn't happen. Well, have they considered, you know, when Lou Lamarillo takes a step back and looks at how this thing is constructed, is he going to consider that as, you know, that that's the one th through line or thread or overarching piece to this when they've fallen short the last few years is hey, it, what I said, hey, great playoff style team, but they can't punch through for that one extra goal. You still have to be able to score you can't win everything to nothing. Um, is it going to change the way Lou Lamarillo manages this roster? Well, we're trying to figure out if Lou's coming back. You know, all the information <laughs> has it is that his contract's up. He wouldn't talk about that the last time we spoke to him, which actually was in Tampa on April 1st. Someone asked him about it, and he goes, maybe you get your facts right, something like that about yeah. his contract. <laughs> he was not happy just, about that, yeah. No, and it's a, you have to ask the question. We all sure. agree that we think that it his, was his last year, and we're figuring out right now that the long process of him not talking, because he hasn't addressed the media yet, neither is Lane, is they're trying to figure out what's next. If he's back, whoever is back, yeah, you look at, like, they need another elite forward. They got Bo Horvath at the deadline. You know, the offense wasn't really there during the regular season when he joined over. Barzal did get hurt. They only played six games together. And in the playoffs, he had one goal, which was a shorthanded goal, in garbage time in a game. So he didn't live up to expectations, but Horvat's a goal scorer in this league, sure. But is he that elite sniper this Islanders team has been longing for? I don't think so. That, that guy, maybe Oliver Wallstrom turns into that guy. The problem right now the Islanders have to deal with is they have UFAs. They have to figure out if they want them back. They don't have a ton of cap space. And if they want to do sign a player like that or trade for a player with a high 
annual value, they got to move some contracts. A guy like Josh Bailey, who's at a $5 million cap hit, who was a healthy scratch often and did not play a single posting game. You know, you got to find a way to move on from those guys, whether it be including a draft pick or buying, you have to do something to alleviate your cap issues in order to make it even possible. I think getting a puck moving defenseman might be a higher priority because that changes everything. A puck moving defenseman might help get more offense as well as help the defensive zone as well. So yeah, the Islanders have a lot of question marks they got to figure out. Well, yeah. And I don't think people think of the Islanders roster in this way, but when you break it down, you're right. You you end up looking at, I want to say eight or nine contracts at an average annual value of $5 million or more per year. And that's, that starts in a flat cap world or the cap only going up by a million dollars or whatever it may be. That becomes very difficult to manage with the escalating salaries of the Horvats and Barzals that you mentioned also. Um, so do they, do they look to move some of those salaries out? And, oh, you know, I've talked about this with several people now. The Penguins may be looking to do something like that. Uh, in their case, it's non-productive salary. Um, the Bruins may be looking to do something like that. They're up against the cap. Multiple teams are already talking about how do we move salary out in order to reshape things or give us the ability to reshape things. But we all end up coming back to the same issue we came to around trade deadline time, which was, well, who wants to take on salary in this brave new world? And there's only a couple teams you can think of here and there that may be young and feel like they're on the brink, the Senators, the Sabres, who are willing to take that salary on. And it, 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 it seems like there's not many bedfellows to be made on the trade market in that regard. And teams also know that those teams have to get rid of contracts. Exactly. So they, it's not like you could just dump a guy for free. I know like the Islanders did it with Andrew Ladd. They essentially gave him to the Irish economy and just take the money. But now mm-hmm. teams are realizing, well, why we, we might as well get something for it because we want to you know, win this trade as well. So I looked at, um, I did a story on Josh Bailey and the Blackhawks. Um, regardless of Bedard, obviously they're going to try to rebuild as quick as possible, but they're ni- over $19 million away from the cap floor. So they could take on, I mean, they're going to, they they're going to resign as many UFAs that they have in their RFAs and it, it'll, they're not going to be you know, like truly stressed with filling it. But a guy like Josh Bailey at 5 million to a team that has, you know, Taves and Kane are gone leadership wise, right. Billy's played over a thousand games. He's been a true professional through the, the healthy scratches. He's going to get to play there. Again, Bedard, could he learn something from Bailey? Of course he can. People that look at Josh Bailey and say he's got no value, he's regressed. The guy wears an A for a reason. Again, he's been around. He stayed in the NHL. Uh, To go into a room with the Bedards and the other young guys that this Blackhawks team have, I think there's there's beneficial stuff there. And again, cap-wise, it works. Um, But like you said, there's not that many teams that can really do that. Arizona – at some point, Arizona is going to have to stop doing that um, because they got to find a way to build forward. Because right now, they're they're doing all these things to what you're supposed to do to restart a rebuild, except they're not rebuilding. Yeah. <laughs> they just keep taking on. So yeah, I mean, you have Islander other deals. The problem is a lot of these contracts, like an Anders Lee who, who struggled mightily in the playoffs. You know, the Islanders aren't trading their captain. He's take a seven million dollar cap hit, but they're not going to move him. Um, Matt Martin and Cal Clutterbuck, guys that have made up this fourth line for years all spoke in their exit interviews about coming back and having a good season. And again, it depends who's in charge because Lou is loyal to a fault, mm-hmm. but he's loyal. So would he be willing to move on from guys like that? Probably not. So it limits who you can get rid of. I think Pajot at $5 million a year with Horvat coming in, Horvat does everything Pajot does plus provides more offense. And I'm not saying it's not important to have more than one guy that does a certain job, but I do believe that Horvat made Pajot a little bit expendable. You have Sezikis on the roster you can move him to three C or, or sign a cheaper, 3C and move Pajot because teams that are any, that are trying to take that next step to, to win a Stanley Cup, whatever it is, Pajot is an NHL-ready guy that could help in the playoffs. So you have guys like that, Scott Mayfield. You could let him walk. Then you got to fill that hole. So 
again, there's a lot of things the Islanders can do. The question is, depending on who's in charge, is that loyalty factor going to stop them from doing that? Right. And if they do bring back a very similar roster, uh, how does it get coached into a different position? And, and how much of this, how much of this blew back on Lane Lambert after this first round exit? Yeah, I definitely got out coached by Brenda Moore. I mean, it makes sense. Brenda Moore has the experience. Lane doesn't, despite being behind Barry Trotz for forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I looked at it more as his assistant coaches didn't do a good enough job this past year for him. I just wrote a column on that for the Hockey News, and I'll go into it a little bit. Is So he hires Doug Huda, who he played with in Detroit, right. defensive coach, penalty guild coach. He helped Murray Sider develop. So you looked at him coming over, okay, can he help Noah Dobson take that next step? Can he help the young guys? Noah Dobson regressed. The yeah. defense as a whole, this was a defense under Barry Trotz that was one of the best defenses in hockey year after year. It was the reason why they not only made the playoffs, but went on those runs. If they didn't have that defensive structure, that's not happening. Um, Adam Pellick, even though when he was healthy, looked a bit better. He regressed. Scott Mayfield struggled. There was a lot of guys that just the defense didn't look the same, and you were hoping Huda would help with that. And again, Dobson was the biggest thing. You wanted to see him take steps forward defensively. We know he has the offensive talent. And he just regressed defensively. And you look at it as, okay, of course it's Lane's job to oversee everything. But you're bringing in a coach who specializes in a certain spot. They got to get that job done. That's how you keep your yeah. job. And you look at the uh, the power play coach, Johnny Mack, John McLean, who wasn't supposed to be hired. Brian Weissman was originally hired. Then something happened there. He doesn't get hired. Lou Lamarillo hires a buddy in Johnny McLean. And the Islanders power play was atrocious to the point where they didn't make one change to the top power play unit until game six. They went the whole year struggling. They finally take Noah Dobson off, but it, all that time, you don't make a move again. That's on lane for, you have to push that. But at the same time, Johnny Max being paid to run the power play. He right. has, you, you got to do stuff. And I think you look at lane first year head coach, he's going to be overwhelmed. He's going to make rookie mistakes. I think if he had more of uh, maybe the assistant coaches did a better job to help him. The honors don't have to wait till game 82. Maybe they still finish in the top wild card spot, but they're not waiting till game 82 to get it done. If the power play was 5%, better three percent better it's a different ball game they could still be playing right now so i think i think lane has a lot to learn but i don't think his assistant coaches helped out a lot and if lane is back i can't see any way john mclean's back maybe hood is back but johnny mclean again wasn't a lane hire that was a lou hire lane could probably find someone that he wants to join the staff but yeah it's got to be a team effort for sure on the coaching front good call um so when we get to late june and then a couple days later after the draft and Isles don't have a first round pick, but you know, things get done as a draft. Uh, and then free agency a couple days later, uh, what are we keeping eye keeping an eye out for? What's the move that we go, oh, okay, now we know what the Islanders are about this summer? Well, first off, it's 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 deciding what you're gonna do with Bailey. Are you gonna trade Bailey at the draft? Are you gonna buy him out when the buyout window opens up? That's the first order of business because you gotta make the clear cut decision. If Bailey said that he wants me back, he's got one year left at five million. But he said, I don't want to be back. I don't want to be watching if I'm back. Well, right now you look at the roster. He's going to be watching next year if he's back. So I think he's going to talk with Lou, whoever's in charge, and they're going to probably find a way to make it work. And I think if a new gem comes in that maybe likes Bailey, they might keep him. But you, you look at, you know, it's funny. Barry Trotz always spoke so highly of Josh Bailey. Mm-hmm. Could he end up in Nashville? I don't know. You know, there's oh. things that got to be done. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but, you know, talk is cheap. If you really like the guy, go. Yeah. So, Go bring him in. But again, I talked about Chicago. They could buy him out, which saves them $2.3 million, um, next year. But then it's, you know, they have to pay him again over time. So that's $1.6 the year after. So again, that's a year, not this upcoming year, but after Sorokin's a free agent. You're looking at him getting a max deal. You got to have as much money. I know the cap's going to go up, but you got to have the money. So I think the first order of business is, is starting to clear because last summer in August, when we were waiting to hear about Kadri coming to the Islanders. 
and stuff like that. And that was really close. And yeah. the sources told me that that was very close to the point where Kadri's camp said to Lou, like, we want to sign with New York. What I was told. And Lou said, okay, I, I just got to make the cap space. And come the end of August, that cap space was never created. You can't be in a cap strap in August. Yeah. Like that's, you had, the Islanders didn't make any moves to the deadline last year. You could have moved some contracts and put yourself in a better spot for agency. And again, the Islanders only one acquisition this summer, and that was trading for Romanov, which, which seems like it's going to work out. But again, this is a team that had a, a lot of holes when there was talented players available. Not saying Kadri was the right guy. I don't think he would have been the right fit. But you, again, that, you have to figure out your cap situation well before August because you have to improve this roster. You, if you run it back with this roster, you know, again, it's, a, it's not that the core is completely old. There's a lot of young talent on here. There's a lot of question marks. And again, the way they play, you know, they tried to play Lambert hockey early in the year. The offense was good. I think it was over 3.5 goals per game for the first couple of months. The defense struggled. And then when it was time for Kernstein, they reverted to Barry Trotz hockey. So it really depends on, you know, who you're going to let go and who you're going to move based on the direction this team wants to go. If you want to get rid of this whole defensive-only structure, you got to bring in speed and skill. If you're going to stick with this defensive structure, which I think doesn't make sense, you need – right to me, the regular season and the playoffs are two different leagues. Yep. Two different exactly. sports. Um, yep. And you look at the teams that are they're like the New Jersey Devils. Like speed is something that doesn't change. You know, even if the Devils are struggling to finish, they'll always have speed, which is hard to defend. You know, the Islanders have Barzal fast and Engvall, who's a UFA that's probably going to command money. You know, you don't have speed, but if you're not going to play that speed style of game, you're not going to drop a ton of money to get someone that's fast, you know? So yeah. and, and I really think, yeah. You're, you're probably never going to get beyond, you know, maybe a surprise conference finals trip as well. Exactly. And you look at all those years, right? They, besides the year that they, they finished second in the Metro, they barely mm. got him in. You know, their style of defense only wears you down during the regular season where you'll get into the playoffs but you're not getting smoothly on Barzal. I, you know, Barzal talked about it as exit interviews. He goes, I don't want to have to be fighting it at the end of the season to make the playoffs. I want to be looking at February and thinking, all right, we're good, you know? And the honors yeah. under haven't really had that. And that's something I think would help a lot in terms of, you know, the injuries they always deal with and the age. You know, I'm not saying this, this team is ridiculously old that people are playing out to you, but, you know, maybe they don't play as much down the street. They save some energy and all that stuff. I mean, these guys go into the playoffs all banged up and bruised. And they battle. We saw them battle to get to the semifinals. But again, it wears, it's wear and tear type of hockey, which again, I don't think works successfully for full 82. Like I said, the Islanders didn't play that way for the first half of the season and they played to it to make the playoffs. But I just don't think it works. Stefan, great stuff as always. I appreciate you making the time today. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. You know, I, I think it's a team Penguins fans are going to feel uh, the, the burr in their saddle for a while from the Islanders. They're going to be right there. It's just a question of can you, like they said, can they punch through to that next level? We'll be watching them in this offseason to see what they try to pull off in order to do so. Great stuff again. Thanks as always for the time. Thank you.